So we're ticking our way through Genesis. Who knows where we're at tonight? 49. 49. Genesis 1, we're starting over. <laughs> Everybody's going to kill you if we start over. But uh, powerful chapter here. This is one of, uh, it's a sobering one to preach as Jacob, who is Israel, who Israel is coming out of. Remember, Genesis is the book of beginnings, the final part of the book deals with the genesis of Israel, the people of God, the nation of God. Uh, Jacob is dying and he's old and he's performing uh, what patriarchs do as he speaks a blessing on all of his sons. Now realize these sons here are going to make up the 12 tribes of Israel. So these blessings are not just, you know, the fanciful words of a father, the sentimental words of a father. These are prophetic words to each son that will have implications on them individually and the tribes as a nation. So in just a minute here, I'm going to have Sister Kim read you chapter 49. Let's thank the Lord for the word tonight. And we'll jump right in. Father, I thank you tonight that we can come together on Wednesday and we can worship you with all our hearts, Lord. We can be in your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you don't just show up on Sunday, but wherever two or three are gathered, there you are, and you're in our midst tonight. So we thank you for it, Lord, and we say what a privilege it is to enter your presence with thanksgiving and praise and to feel your spirit move in this place. Holy Spirit, continue to move as the word goes forth. Father, help me as I deliver it to rightly divide it and deliver it under the power and the anointing of your precious spirit tonight. We open up our hearts, Lord, and we ask that we would be able to receive and to drink in all of these principles in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sister Kim. Genesis 49. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves, that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their council. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they slew men, and, their, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine, and his teeth white from milk. Zebulun will dwell at the seashore, and he shall be a haven for ships, and his flank shall be toward Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, lying down between the sheepfolds. When he saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became a slave at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. 
Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path that bites the horse's heels so that the, his rider falls backward. For your salvation I wait, O Lord. As for Gad, raiders shall raid him, but he will raid at their heels. As for Asher, his food shall be rich, and he will yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a doe <coughs> let loose. He gives beautiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. Its branches run over a wall. The arches bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him, but his bow remained firm, and his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. From the God of your father who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors. Up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, may they be on the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, and in the evening he divides the spoil. All of these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, every one, with the blessing appropriate to him. Then he charged them and said to them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought, along with the field from Ephron the Hittite, for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah. And there I buried Leah, the field and the cave that is in it, purchased from the sons of Heth. When Jacob finished his charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Wow. He said what he had to say, pulled his feet back into bed, and gave up the ghost. Quite a punctuation to the end of those statements. I want you to see something about this text here as I begin to unravel and point out some things. Realize many times in life we say things that are pleasant or polite and we sugarcoat them. Yes. Hello. Yes. But I want, to see, I, want, I want you to see something about the word of God here and, and realize he's speaking prophetically. It is not sugarcoated at all. It is completely unvarnished. It is the raw, bare-naked, offensive truth. Yes. Yes. We need more of this in our lives. Yes. Oh, Pastor, I don't like that. We need more of this in our lives. We need more of this in our culture. Yes. It's quiet tonight. Jacob's about to die. He's the patriarch of the family. So what does he do? He assembles his sons. This is the final blessing he's about to give here. Now, we call these things a blessing, but really some of them are not going to come across as a blessing. Right. They are the final pronouncements of him over his sons, and this is the word of the Lord for them. He didn't just come up with these things himself. It's not just a grumpy old man rehashing some of the sins of the past. This is the word of the Lord for these young men, and it has implications on the tribes that they will represent. Now, remember... Uh, this, this here is for these guys, but it's, it's past them. We're going to talk about that. It's prophetic in what he's saying, 
And look the way he says it in verse one. He summoned his sons and he said, assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Wow, that's powerful. All of us should have that much of a prophetic mantle. All of us should be that close to the Lord that we hear the word of the Lord for our children, for our family, that we can speak to them prophetically with some sort of insight of what is about to befall them. It's quiet tonight. See, most of us don't approach that level of spirituality. We just want to, you know, kind of humpty dumpty it along and just make it into heaven. But really, we're supposed to have the word of the Lord for the next generation. And if we don't, we need to bury ourselves in the word and at the feet of Jesus long enough till we get a word to bless them with. So one and two, he says, let me tell you what's going to befall you in the days to come. This is a powerful man of God, not a perfect man, but a man moving in the Holy Spirit right now. Verses three and four, he starts with Reuben. Now, Reuben is the firstborn, uh, so it's only fitting. He does things in order here. God has order. Man has order, and he's doing things in order. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn. That's true. My might and my beginning of my strength. That's true. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. All of this sounds good so far until verse four hits. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence. Whoa. Now, if you didn't get that, you weren't listening because it started off nice and flowery and he's telling Jacob, you're my firstborn, you're my might, you're my strength. That's, that's a good thing, that's a true thing. He refers to Reuben's dignity and preeminence. Now you gotta picture Reuben there thinking, yeah, that's right, I am, you know, head and shoulders above all my scrappy little brothers. And you know, my preeminence, I'm the firstborn. And you know, and he talks about dignity. So obviously Reuben was a specimen. He was, you know, something that man would look at and see him as a, you know, a, just a, a really great specimen of what it means to be an Israelite. And verse four kicks in. He says, you're uncontrolled as water. Ouch. What does that mean? You have no self-control. <laughs> now there's a lot of, of us that, you know, would not like to think of ourselves as, you know, we make mistakes and we do things out of turn and sometimes, but this pronouncement over him is a powerful one because it's final. And that's what you got to see here. Sometimes the word of the Lord is final. We do things that, you know, that bring in a harvest. The harvest that he brought in was, you know, you're uncontrolled. You have no self-controlled. You will not preeminent. That means you're not going to enjoy the blessing of the firstborn. If you remember, if you were paying attention while I was preaching through this, you realize that at some point, Jacob even stopped dealing with Reuben. He dealt with some of his other brothers. Yes. Judah stepped up and took his place. Why? Because he had already lost the preeminence. Why? Because he'd done some really wild stuff that just caused his father to lose his confidence in him. And then he couples that with some sinful behavior that just offends heaven. Now, they give the reason why Reuben will not have preeminence. They give the reason why he is being rejected as the firstborn. You're uncontrolled as water. You will not have preeminence. Why? Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, went up to my couch. You know what Reuben did, if you remember, is he slept with his father's concubines. Now you see, is Jacob just being a grouchy old codger, getting him back for what he did? No. See, this wasn't just between Jacob and Reuben. This was an offense towards heaven. Make no mistake, our lack of self-control will destroy our potential. 
Reuben's lack of self-control destroyed his potential. It stole his birthright away from him. Why? Because he coupled that lack of discipline with sexual sin. He offended heaven and his father, and he cost himself the blessing. Wow. Thank God for grace in the New Testament. This was a law covenant. And we see the stiffness of the law, that sexual sin, that defilement that he took upon himself, cost him his birthright, destroyed his potential. His lack of self-control was his undoing. Was he a horrible person? No, but God had rejected him because of his behavior. Verses five and seven, we're up next with Simeon and Levi. These two are coupled together. Simeon and Levi are brothers, verse five tells us. And it means more that they are just brothers, you know, naturally, but they are, they are akin to each other in spirit. What Levi does, uh, you know, and these two just kind of work in concert. Simon and Levi, they work together. God couples them together. Now remember, he could have made a tribe out of each of them, but Joseph is going to have two tribes. So this is what happens here. These two are coupled together to make one tribe. It's going to be the Levite tribe. These guys are going to be the priests. Now I want you to see what their character is as you look at the two of you are brothers, and, and together they are bound in a spirit that is unpleasing to Jacob, and obviously it was unpleasing to God. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel." Let's stop right there. That, that, that was a mouthful that I just gave you. Okay, here's these two guys. If you remember what they did when their sister was defiled, these guys are the ones who took swords in and they wiped out a whole town of the males. If you remember, they tricked them into getting circumcised so they could have their sister in marriage. Do you, does anybody remember this? It's so long ago, but it's hard to forget that story. I'm telling you what. All the guys are like, yeah, remember that story. And, you know, they tricked all of these guys and then they killed them. And Jacob had a move, and you know, Jacob never forgot it, and neither did God. Their angry and violent tendencies were so much a mark of their character that verse six basically says that Jacob doesn't want to be associated with them. He doesn't want his mantle, you know, he, he doesn't want his mantle destroyed or sullied by their behavior. I mean, let, let my soul not enter into their counsel. Wow. I don't want to hear what you guys have to say. I don't want to be associated with your violence and all that. And he's basically saying, you know, I I can't bless you. I can't put my mantle on you. I don't want your ways to become the ways of the nation that is being birthed out of me. Powerful. They killed man and beast. It says in their self-willed anger. See, it wasn't righteous indignation. It wasn't the justice and judgment of God. It was self-willed anger. Is anybody alive out there tonight? Yeah, you're just looking at me, yeah. Taking it in. Well, make some noise every once in a while. Let me know. These guys, you know, what they did was not just a one-time act. It was their spirit. So check that out there how, you know, God is not candy-coating it. 
They're self-willed, they're angry. Curse their uncontrolled anger and wrath and they're sentenced to be dispersed among Israel. Now, you might say, what does that mean? If you know when the tribes take place and Israel uh, becomes a nation, in a sense, here down the road, the Levites will be scattered among the people. The Levites are priests. They have no inheritance in the land. There's no land given to them. Why? God made them priests and scattered them through Israel so they could minister to all of the tribes. So that's what that meant, that they're being scattered. So I don't know if, you know, being, I wouldn't say being in the priesthood's a punishment, but for these guys, they weren't given an inheritance and they were scattered out. Now just think about that for a second, that the character of the, uh, that was in the nature of the priesthood was one that was just, you know, kind of violent and, wow. <laughs> it's interesting. Yet God knows exactly what he's doing and not giving them an inheritance, scatter them. Verses eight through 12, Judah is up next. And thank God this blessing is the best one so far. Judah is the tribe that, you know, praises in Judah. Judah leads the way. Uh, David comes out of Judah. They're up next. Their blessing is the most upbeat thus far. In verse eight, it says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now listen to this. God is prophetically uh, intimating that there are gonna be kings in Israel. Yep. Now that was never his plan. It was never his idea. But there again, he knows the beginning from the end. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So if you picture a, a king sitting on the throne with the staff between his feet, boom. He's saying leadership and kingship will come out of the tribe of Judah. And this is, there again, these guys have no idea what's to come, but they're hearing the word of the Lord, and it, it's dead on accurate. Judah is like a, a lion's cub, a lion's whelp. So let's take a look at this for a second. Judah have respect and admiration of his brothers. Now that's a good thing. He's someone that can be counted on. We saw that. Jacob began to count on Judah to do things, and he discounted Reuben. So some of these things have already been put into motion. Judah will have victory over his enemies. That's an important thing. He's going to have his foot on the neck of his enemies. You say, well, why, why is that important? Because when you're righteous, God gives you victory over your enemies. When you're sinful, God allows your enemies to afflict you so you'll repent. We see this over and over in the nation of Israel and over and over in our own nation. If we're wicked and godless, the plagues of the land, the judgments of God touch nations. Yet they're saying, God's saying to him as this tribe, you're going to have victory over your enemies. That's a good thing. And we should understand that, that as we harness the purity in our life, as we drive the sin out of our life, as we refuse to touch unclean things and, and present ourselves to God as, uh, you know, as living sacrifices to him, the blessing of God allows us to have victory over the giants and the mountains and the obstacles. If you're inundated with giants and mountains and obstacles and you go from one conflict to the next, out of the fire, into the frying pan, it's time to look at your heart. It's time to examine your ways. So Judah is blessed to have victory. Uh, they talked about the lion cub. Now, he's like a lion's wolf. He's likened to a lion. Now, remember, who comes out of the tribe of Judah? David. And who comes out of David's line? Jesus. Who is Jesus? The lion of the tribe of Judah. 
There again, they had no idea. A lion, we're a lion. What, what is this? You know, they had no idea what was to come. But all these prophetic elements are coming together. And God is speaking into the future what's going to come through the line of Judah. Thank God for some people among God's people who will live holy and do the right things. Amen. So God blesses those who have good character. Never forget that. Verse 13, Zebulon's blessing is one verse. Some of these guys, you know, they, they get a one verse blessing, but I would rather have a one verse blessing than a real 12 verses of scathing, you know, rebuke. <laughs> Sometimes it's okay to be a little bit below the radar. Anybody? Verse 13, Zebulon, you will dwell at the seashore and he shall have a haven for ships as his flank shall be towards Sidon. So Zebulon is the tribe that all the ladies want to be in so you could live at the beach, right? Come on, ladies. Just trying to lighten it up a little bit. You're going to be by the beach. You're going to be by the seashore. You're going to be a haven for ships. You're going to flank Sidon. So this was a, a depiction of their vocation and their location. What was your vocation? You're going to be people of the sea. You're going to work with ships. You're going to be fishermen. What's your location? You're going to be located by the water next to Sidon. So, I mean, these are pretty specific things. And we're going to see all of this stuff is not just words that go into the air and hit the ground. All of this comes to pass. You can trace it into Israel's history. Verses 14 and 15, uh, the blessing of Issachar. It's an interesting blessing to say the least. Uh, verses 14 and 15 describe Issachar as a strong donkey. I don't know about you, but I, I like almost any other description. <laughs> as a strong donkey. I remember when I was first in ministry, I was a youth pastor and we were doing some work breaking up the parking lot and I, 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 I took some kind of pavement cutter, cut up a big chunk of pavement, put it on my shoulder and carried it into the dumpster. And somebody looked at me who was at church here and said, just like we need a youth pastor, big, strong, and stupid. <laughs> it's okay, Pastor Mike. It was Pastor Mike. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But, uh, you know, Issachar is this guy, he, he's likened to a donkey, which is not really the description you want to get, you know, but, and it's not really a compliment, but it just describes him as a beast of burden. Now listen to this, what it says here, lying down between the sheepfolds. So you got sheep and sheep, and he lies down in the middle. Why? When he saw that the resting place was good and the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear burden. So he wanted to be in a specific spot, so he hires himself out uh, to be a tribe that does physical labor. And eventually it says, and became a slave at forced labor. So uh, the implications are here is this is a tribe of strong, stout, hardworking people who just maybe didn't have, you know, a lot of faith or a lot of initiative. And they just kind of laid down in a nice spot and they wanted to stay there. So they sold themselves out for hire to provide all kinds of physical labor among the tribes. Eventually, because they're not astute or maybe wise financially, they become slaves. In the, back in the day, if you didn't have money to pay things that you had to pay, you had to give yourself into someone's hire as an indentured servant to pay off your bills. Now we just file chapter 13 and get a new credit card and start over. But these guys, you know, and this is, uh, this is the pronouncement on them. They're again, not, not bad, but not great. Um, verses 16 through 18 is Dan's blessing. Now, this is a real interesting one. Dan's blessing starts off with a, a reference to judges. Dan shall, be ju Dan shall judge his people as 
of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path that bites the horse's heel so that his rider falls backward. For your salvation, I wait, O Lord. So this is a two-part blessing here. Um, the first part can be construed as a good thing. Uh, judges were going to come out of Dan. Uh, we studied the book of Judges. We looked. A lot of the Danites became judges. You know, Samson was from the tribe of Dan. And so you're seeing he, God saying, I'm going to raise judges up out of Dan. Now, what were judges? Judges were people who, when Israel went astray, would come and correct them and bring them back into the way so that could be reunited with the Lord and the nation could be on track again. So that's a good thing because they're going to be people who will come and, and just re reassert the spiritual values that keep Israel safe. But, but understand the next part of the blessing, a serpent in the way bites the horse's heels. Dan will have an idolatry problem. You see, a leadership is a two-edged sword. You, if you're called to be a leader, you can lead people the right way or you can lead people the wrong way. We're going to see many times those who come out of the tribe of Dan uh, lead people into idolatry as they copy the, you know, the, the worship practices of the land that they're in. Uh, you know, Samson had issues, and you look at some of these judges uh, that had issues with idolatry. Um, so God warns there that you know, it's kind of a two-part a two blessing here. One side is good that there'll be judges. The other side is that they're going to lead Israel astray spiritually. And that's a sad thing. Verse 19, Gad. Gad's blessing is just like exhausting when you think about it here because, you know, basically it says you'll be raided and you will raid at the heel. So Gad's going to be in a location where there'll constantly be uh, skirmishes with other people groups. They're going to be raided and they're going to raid back. There's going to be constant conflict there. There again, not the kind of blessing you would want. We don't understand, you know, why that's appropriate for Gad, but really that's God's business. He's just telling them what's, what's going to happen. Asher in verse 20. Asher is an interesting blessing. It, re it really pretty much tells their vocation and their place in the tribes. And there again it says um, that Asher and his food shall be rich and he shall yield royal dainties. So Asher were going to be the cooks and the bakers and those who generated all kinds of foods and all kinds of delicacies for the 12 tribes. They're creators of fine foods. Now think about that if you're in that tribe, you know, you're, you're providing food for, for all the people. You know, they, this was the tribe that started the Food Network. <laughs> And, you know, they, they, that's their role. And there again, you say, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, it's a calling. Yeah. 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 And it's one that, you know, God put on them and they were built for it. And so uh, it, it's not a bad blessing. It's an interesting one. Verse 21, Naphtali is likened to a doe let loose. Now, Naphtali's blessing can be a little bit obscure. Uh, Naphtali is a doe let loose. He gives beautiful words. That might not sound like much. It doesn't seem, you know... Uh, to make much sense, but when you dig into that and what the references mean there, uh, the bless, it's a real blessing that like a doe, a hind is used in scripture to describe freedom and to describe, you know, uh, just kind of blessing and you're going to be let loose like a doe. So there's going to be freedom. There's going to be, there's going to be prosperity there. Really this blessing over Naphtali is the full affirmation of God. This is what God wants to do with all his people. He wants to bless us so we can be free and prosperous and enjoy the grace of the Lord. Yeah. 
It doesn't sound like much of a blessing, but this is really one of the better ones here. That these guys, you know, he gives beautiful words, meaning that, you know, his, his actions and, and the tribe and what they do, they're, they're just, you know, praised of men and, and praised of God. We see the full affirmation of God on Napoli. Verses 22 through 26, Joseph gets the, you know, he gets the biggest blessing here. Now you say, well, why is that? Well, God handpicked Joseph. Joseph did some incredible things, saved his whole family, went to Egypt before them. We know the whole story. We've just been through it. But his blessing is, you know, the, the biggest of all. It says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. Think about that. So you're fruitful and you're producing and you're a plant and you're hooked right into a water supply. That's blessing, that's prosperity, like a tree planted by the waters, right? Same kind of imagery there. You're a fruitful bough and you're plugged right into the water supply. Now listen to this. The archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him, but his bow remained firm. So in, in this tribe of Joseph's two sons there, they will have conflict, they will have warfare, they will have to deal with enemies that are, you know, uh, perpetual in dealing with them, but it says, but his bow remained firm. So there was going to be conflict, but they would have success in these conflicts. And his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. From the God of your father who helps you and by the mighty one who blesses you with blessings in heaven above. Listen to these blessings. Blessings of the deep that lie beneath. Blessings of the breast and the womb. There's going to be fertility in Joseph. Amen. There's going to be children and sons born. Uh, blessings of your father. He surpasses the blessings of my ancestors. So rich blessings from Jacob, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of these things passed down upon the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of the one who distinguishes among his brothers. So Joseph's blessing is a huge blessing. And uh, it's rightly so what he went through, what he, uh, the outlandish things he dealt with to bless the nation, uh, it's a great thing. I want you to see uh, there's many things in here. There's abundance, there's prosperity, there's longevity, there's uh, fertility and fruitfulness. I, I love the way you say blessings of the breast and womb. You know, even in dealing with the patriarchs, we saw at, at times people had a hard time conceiving children. Yes. You think of Rebecca and all that they went through. Yeah, th that is a great blessing there that, you know, that you're going to have fertility and you're going to have children. And so he's going to be blessed more than his ancestors before him. And a crown will be on his head that distinguishes him above his brothers. There again, I would love to see a picture of Reuben's face as Joseph got his blessing. Verse 27, we're going to bring it down for a landing here. Israel is pronouncing all these things. He's down to the last one. He speaks of Benjamin. Now, you, Benjamin was one of his favorite sons. Joseph and Benjamin were the sons of his favorite wife. But listen to Benjamin's blessing. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he devours the prey. In the evening, he divides the spoil. So there again, what does that all mean? Well, if you trace out the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin was a small tribe, but if you remember when we talked about Benjamin, they were a small but ferocious tribe. They had great military prowess, so much so that in the book of Judges, Benjamin takes on the whole nation of Israel. 
Do you remember this as we studied Judges? Why did they do that? Because someone took the priest's concubine and raped her and killed her, and the priest cut up that concubine and sent it out through Israel, and they said, Benjamin, you need to send out the people who did this, and they go, no, we're not doing it. Why? Because they were cocky, because they were strong, so they decided to take on the whole nation of Israel. Now, that gives a little context here. Benjamin is like a ravenous wolf. What, what does he do? He, he, dis, he divides the spoil. So basically, they go out, they raid, they conquer, they destroy people, they bring back the spoils, and they divide them up. They're a very violent, uh, militarily... Uh, kind of wired tribe here and we see the fruit of it is that when they take on the whole nation of Israel the first time out they just about whipped them but then Israel comes back and beats them to the point where Benjamin is almost wiped out as a tribe and they have to find wives from some other place for the, men, the few men who survive so that the tribe will not be extinguished. So I want to say something about Benjamin. It's not bad to have strength. It's not bad to have military prowess. But listen to me. Any strength out of balance becomes a weakness. These guys had become so militaristic in their thinking that they became ungodly and wicked to the point where they stood up for people who killed a, a concubine and raped her and they stood against their own brethren and fought. Be careful. Your greatest strength out of balance is your greatest weakness. Well, I'm intellectual. Make sure you check it. Well, I'm physical. Make sure you check it. I'm passionate. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Make sure you check it. It's got to be balanced. If it's not balanced, it'll be your undoing. Just like a Benjamin. So verses 28 through 33 bring the rest of it down the blessings for each individual son are giving they have implications for all the 12 tribes these words are prophetic and as with all prophecy almost all prophecy is multi-dimensional so these blessings were for the boys but they were for the tribe so we're seeing the the multi-dimensional nature of prophecy applied here we're going to see these things walked out i gave you a couple clues how benjamin's was walked out you can trace some of these other things and see that you know these pronouncements were right on the mark. God doesn't tell anybody what they want to hear. He tells them the truth. And these boys, good, bad, or ugly, had to hear the truth from the lips of their father, the patriarch. And, you know, all I can say is that some of the pronouncements were pretty harsh and some of the judgments were pretty sobering. And thank God for the grace of God. Because we live under grace. Because if God judged any of us by this standard, none of us would be fit for service in the kingdom. And if you think you would be, that's really bad. <laughs> Verse 29 through 32, uh, Jacob is in Egypt, but he doesn't want to be buried there. So the final part of the chapter is, you know, uh, him, you know, being buried where he wanted to be buried. Now, I love the way uh, he kind of arranged this with the one son, Joseph, that he could really trust. It said, then they charged them and said, I am about to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is in Mamre, and in the land of Canaan. And Abraham brought it along with the field. Remember, way back, we, we traced all of this stuff. Uh, why does he want to be buried there? Because Abraham and his wife and Isaac and his wife and uh, one of his wives is buried there there, Leah. Um, so understand that he wants to be gathered to his people. He doesn't want to be buried in Egypt. Why? He sojourned in Egypt, but he never became an Egyptian in his heart. And that's a good thing. As the people of God, we live in the world, but we should never become worldly. Thanks, Julius. 
Verse 33, Jacob finishes his work as the patriarch. He pulls his feet back into the bed and dies. Mic drop, it's over. What a punctuation to the end here. And so all of these blessings were final. There was no disputing them. You couldn't trade a blessing with somebody else. You had to take what your character and what your actions had earned for you. The implications of them we'll see walked out through Israel. Uh, the chapter ends and the nation of Israel is galvanized and is about to flourish into what God said it would be. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you tonight for this chapter. And Father, it's something for each of us to think about. Father, that each of us are going to stand before the Lord and receive rewards for what we've done in this body. We're not going to be before the judgment seat where we have to answer for what we did with Jesus because you've settled that for us. And so that's the great white throne judgment is not for us, but when we stand before Christ to receive our rewards, that we would receive crowns and all of these things. Help us to remember that God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he will reap. Now, these things that we do in our lives, Father, they have implications for eternity. Help us to live as if that were true. It's so great to confess our sin and to be forgiven, but it's so much greater to not cross the lines and to compound sin in our life because the wages of sin are death and they do have a price tag. Thank God for grace. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for your mercy. At least none of us could stand. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Next week, final chapter. Amen. Amen.